Hello, and welcome to Manga Explaining, the show where we recommend great manga to folks who haven't read much manga before. Hosted by Dabaoki, David Brothers, Chips Dodarski, and myself, Christopher Woodrow Butcher. Follow along with our show notes and reading list at mangasplaining.com. And hey, since you're here, check out our newsletter at mangasplainingextra.com. This week, hi, I'm Chris. I'll be hosting Christopher, as you like. And we are reading <laughs> a book that was maybe one of the first suggestions we got on the podcast of like something to make Chip read. I remember it coming in in the first probably couple episodes, maybe even the first episode when we announced we were doing the podcast. They're like, well, you got to make him read Pluto. You got to make him read Pluto. And we are reading Pluto, volume one, not just by Naoki Urasawa, but Naoki Urasawa and Masuka Tezuka, Tezuka's kid. And then, you know, co-writers as well. Actually, let's just do the whole credits, shall we? Pluto, volume one by Naoki Urasawa and Osama Tezuka, co-authored with Takashi Nagasaki with the cooperation of Tezuka Productions. Translated by Jared Cook and Frederick Schott. Big name on that one. Touch-up lettering by James Galbutz. Cover art direction by Kazuo Umino. Wow. Logo and cover design by Miyoko Kobayashi and Baybridge Studios. Viz Signature Edition designer Courtney Utt. And edited by Andy Nakatani. No, for Chonin Jump, actually. David, you ever see Andy at the office? Please say hi for me. Love that dude. Moving along. Pluto is something of a rarity in North American comics in that it is a, a manga. First off, and that's our, that was rare when it came out. It's less rare now. It's, I think, 50% of the market. It was a rarity when it came out. It's a manga that is adapting a different manga story that came out much earlier. So the, the original story is called Strongest Robot in the World. It's from Astro Boy from the 1960s. And in this story, Urasawa and some other folks got together and decided to adapt this story. And they took a 160-ish page story and adapted it into eight very long, eight eight volumes. And the eighth volume is, let's it's, it should be nine frankly, but I think he really wanted to wrap it up. And it's it's kind of like, well, this is my take. We're gonna we're gonna do me first this week and then maybe go right to we'll go right to Chip. We'll try this out because I feel like oh. Deb and David are a little bit more aware of this book. This feels like superheroes to me. This feels like it feels like North American comics in a way where Someone is coming and taking this like important story, these important themes, these important characters and ideas and modernizing them. And I hadn't really thought about that exact comparison. But when you look at the people who recommend Pluto, they tend to be people who don't read a lot of manga, which is actually what this podcast is about. Manga for people don't read much manga. And they do have books on their shelves like The Watchmen, which is this title that takes these Charlton characters from the 1960s and modernizes and updates them and tells a sort of more mature story with them, in that case in the in the 1980s, but now in, in the 2000s, I mean, for this Astro Boy story. So is this the Watchmen of manga? How did we feel about it, and what do we think? Chip, why don't you give me your initial impressions of Pluto Volume 1? The Watchmen of manga, wow. Wow. All of that entails. I absolutely love this. Mm. This is fantastic. Oh. Yeah, I, I get why it's a gateway. Or maybe uh, more of the Western superhero readers, but yeah, no, it's 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 almost perfect. This book feels like to me. Wow. There are a few flaws here and there, but like, but it's it's gripping. Like it's got a great main character, and every character he meets throughout this is wildly interesting. Yes, whether they're whether they're robot or human, though they seem to mostly be robot. It's Blade Runner meets Hannibal at at, at points. It yeah, it's, it's it's really gripping, and uh, volume one too. Like, kind of, especially if you understand the Astro Boy connection. Like, it's a it's a 
real solid cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's it's beautiful. It's really really well illustrated. Yeah, it's got the it's got Akira vibes to it. In terms, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. He's definitely a post Otomo kind of a kind of a creator. Yeah. What are the Akira vibes? Well, I mean, you can you can tell with the attention to the landscape stuff, the buildings, that kind of level of world building. But there's a, a type of rendering on the faces, mm. like it's really good cartooning. The the, the that that weird mix of of it feels realistic, but it's cartoony, mm-hmm. which was so well done in Akira and is equally done as well here. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 the pen work. Yeah, it's that level of caricature without it being too much. Yeah, it's gorgeous. It's a beautiful book. There's so much I want to come back to in what you what you've said there, but I will say here's here's a quick anecdote. There's an interview with Tao Matsumoto, who we've read on the podcast. He did ping pong and tech on concrete. There's an interview where he talks about his love of Otomo, Otomo Sensei, who did mm-hmm. Akira, and he said that like he was basically the generation right after Otomo, and he he mm-hmm. grew up loving Otomo's work, and he's actually even drawn an illustration, a painting that we've used in the show notes of him as a kid, little kid just like pouring over Akira volume one and his eyes just like <laughs> kind of exploding, like blowing the top of his head off. And because of that, he never wanted to draw like Otomo. He wanted to bring the same level of professionalism and intensity to his work, but he couldn't draw like Otomo. He couldn't be that close to it. And he came up with this theory that people skip a generation. So all these kids that were inspired, directly inspired by Akira and Otomo kind of skipped that generation and their work ended up looking wildly different that like Matsumoto, you know, Inio Asano sort of era of create and Asano is even a little bit younger than Matsumoto, but that era of creators just went off in this like wild directions inspired by Otomo. But the next generation could be like, why aren't you guys driving like Otomo? Like this guy, this guy's knocking out of the park all the time. And yeah, I think yeah. Urasawa as a creator, I think is, is in his fifties now and his, his career, you know, sort of, He's been doing a work a long time. I think he was actually more of a contemporary of Otomo rather than coming up in the next generation. But because of that, so much of that art style, those things that were in the air, the people that inspired Otomo coming to the next, really, really worked his way into his work. And I've been thinking about that anecdote now for like 90, whatever, four episodes or whatever this is now. And I haven't found a way to use it during the either the, the Otomo episodes or the Matsumoto episodes. But looking at his work here, I totally see what you're seeing about Otomo. Deb, yeah. I want to go, I want to jump in. You had obviously read Pluto before. I think you mentioned it. Tell me about what it was like. And you maybe even have a funny story. Tell me what it was like coming coming back to to Pluto Volume One for this for for this rereading. Because I had some misgivings about just rereading Volume One, and I would love to know what you thought about like picking up that story again. I was wondering too whether it was enough to read Volume One, mm. enough of a hook for Chip. Because we've learned in the past that sometimes just giving Chip with Volume 1 is not enough to show the charm uh, and to really get the story, let, get its hooks in you. Mm. It was really interesting because like, I'm rereading this again and realizing, oh, Astra doesn't show up until the, Adam doesn't show up to the last page. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's like, whoa, okay. And mm, I think when I first read Pluto, I had never read The, the Strongest Robot in the World. I had not read the original physical work. Mm-hmm. So I just went in blind and just read the story and read it like a a gripping murder mystery, you know? And then now that I come back to it again and I'm doing a reread alongside the original Tezuka work, which is the equivalent of volume three of the Dark Horse run, that's when you start going like, oh God, 
this is how he remixed this is so masterful. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It does not follow the same story beats. There are some def- definitely things that are similar, like the the robots appear in the same order. They are from the same countries. They there are some hints that they look like they did in the original story, but he Russell adds so much more depth to their characters and stories mm. and backstories. In the original stories, like maybe each of these robots, including the main character in Pluto, maybe shows up for three pages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then reaches has a really sad ending. But now that what Urasawa does is he gives you know depth and feeling to it, so that when they do die, you're like, oh, you're devastated. <laughs> you know, like North, yeah. the, like the North story. Mm, the North story was crazy in this one, where it's like two chapters of introduction to this character just to murder him, and you're just like. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. That was really interesting, too, because Monk Blanc dies before the story starts, but you learn about him over the next three or four chapters in a way that just makes you start like weeping by the end. You're like, oh, my God, he did. He was the greatest of all robots. Yeah. 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 It's such a a good idea. Just like. I mean, it's it's brilliant storytelling to like not even have Mont Blanc as like an active character. But the idea of robots being beloved, like yeah. the fact that he's just beloved, that those workers are working on the memorial or whatever for free because he's touched them all so greatly. Like, it's just, yeah, it's wild. Yeah. That's some masterful scene setting right there. I'm being a little strict this week by just like drive, diving in and out because I could just talk about Pluto oh, yeah. indefinitely. No, no, it's good. It's good. I was worried that it wasn't going to be enough because Pluto, I think of as uh, like eight episodes of a TV series and the last episode it's like it's eight episodes of a TV series kind of like on a Disney plus where the episodes can be any length and it doesn't really matter. That last one's a two and a half hour movie, but I was worried about it because in my mind it's one piece or at least it's maybe two, two halves. And I was surprised at how well volume one held up just on its own, getting to the last page and being like, Oh, there was a lot in that volume and I want to know what happens next. So yeah, I feel you on that and comparing it to the greatest robot on earth, which you, you know, can read in about 15 minutes and has some twists and turns, but is very much aimed at children of the 1960s. <laughs> it's a it's a different vibe, a different vibe for sure. But I will say I, I love the art in Greatest Robot on Earth. Like even that initial that initial reveal of I almost don't want to show Chip because Pluto is doesn't show up in this volume. You're only, he's only hinted at. But the reveal of the Pluto robot that Suzuka drew is just like so bold and awesome with this like huge computer <laughs> terminal behind him and like he's so big he breaks the panel borders which is like kind of and he's so big he's in front of the word balloons at the bottom there and it's just like yeah so that that 1960s like retro future technology that i love that we, we talked a little bit about in the um, phoenix episode brings us to david david i actually thought that maybe you had read this before but on thinking i maybe don't know if that was true had you read Pluto before we we picked up this this volume. Yeah, I'd read I read it as it was coming out. I think I came to it maybe when volume 2 was out, so I read a couple in one mm. shot back in the day. Yeah. But I was a fan and still am, I think. You think? Tell us more. I disagree with your Watchmen point, though I see how you got there. Sure. I think that it it's a little too easy when what it really feels like is Ultimate Spider-Man more than anything. Oh really? Oh, do tell. Yeah, it's, yeah. That's that's funny. I was thinking that too. Why because is that? Because it's almost if 
like the Brian Bendis, Mark Bagley, Ultimate Spider-Man, when chapters one through six is like Amazing Spider-Man 15 and maybe like, or I'm mm. sorry, Amazing Fantasy 15. And then like the first couple chapters of Amazing Spider-Man. Yeah. And this yeah. is the same thing where they're taking a short story that was, you know, pretty much intended for kids and making like an adult story out of it. Adult, you know, Ultimate Spider-Man is not really like adult adult, but this is very much a, like Pluto could come on TV at eight o'clock. Like in between Law and Order and another Law and Order or something. Like <laughs> sure, yeah. Procedural, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> and the remix aspect of changing like this kid's comic into a comic that's pretty much explicitly for adults. Like I, you know, I think I feel like kids could like this, but so much of the pleasures of this are kind of the more subtle aspects and mm. the yeah. emotional weight of different things. Yeah, the emotional weight yeah. is maybe what makes me think that maybe it couldn't come on TV at eight o'clock, and especially as the series mm. goes on and it starts to bring in a lot of the war aspects because they hint at it in this volume. They yeah. hint at the like the Asian war and how everybody's sort of a war buddy and they, you know, murdered 20,000 robots or whatever it there's, there's a lot of hints that there was some heavy stuff that went down and that actually weaves its way into the story in a very active way as it continues. It's more of like a nine o'clock or 10 o'clock <laughs> kind of show. Yeah. Yeah. A yeah. Nine o'clock hey. HBO. Nine o'clock. Oh, yeah. 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 Cause, and it's not because yeah. of graphics X or, I mean, there's some violence, but it's all robot-y it just it's heavy it's heavy in a way that you maybe pick up a manga and don't necessarily expect it to be heavy yeah mm -hmm. but like the, the ultimate spider-man thing makes a lot of sense just because it's it's retelling the story it is retelling the story but but whereas whereas, whereas watchman was like it was just taking those characters and telling a completely new story with them but the watchman thing yeah. i mean i can see how it, it would hit you like that too because it's very much a murder mystery like watchman sure Right. Like you're still following like a main character through this as he encounters other people investigating a murder. I might also say that the level of craft in the artwork is maybe closer to Watchmen than Ultimate Spider-Man. Personally, it's a lot less. How dare yeah, you? I, I would actually disagree. Oh. I think this is a lot less formalist than Watchmen. Yeah, this this is definitely a Watchmen. Yeah, yeah, like it, it's very well drawn. Like it's beautiful. The storytelling is great, but. There are two totally different kinds of storytelling. Like Urasawa has no grid whatsoever. And that kind of <laughs> is the engine for Watchmen. You know, that's partly why we like it so much is that it takes this very basic gimmick and sort not elevates. It doesn't drive it into the ground. It just executes at a very high level, let's sure. say. Mm -hmm. While yeah. this is still, it's just manga. Like it's not really doing any kind of like magic tricks. It's just like a really good story told in a really interesting way in a very well-drawn way. But he's not mm -hmm. doing the kind of stuff like the panel to panel continuity that Dave Gibbons was doing on Watchmen, I don't think. Mm. Yeah. I would love to go through it and look at it with that eye, because I don't think I read it that closely when, when I was reading it for this episode. But I don't I don't know that I'm fully there. But any other first or initial thoughts on rereading Pluto for the first time you want to share? Before I got hired at Image, I was I guess still am a comics critic. And Pluto was one of the books I wrote about the most, along with Probably the mm. Wintermen and Vagabond, I think. Mm. So this was way up there for me. Like I got a lot out wow. of this on my uh, my first time through. And and but rereading it now, does it feel the same? Are you noticing a couple of flaws here and there, like Chip mentioned? Um, Urasawa's like the same face thing doesn't super bother me. I feel like that's just an artist thing. Like yeah, you learn yeah. how to draw faces the way you learn how to draw faces. I know it comes up quite a bit. 
but no, mostly it's just like a, a ripping yarn, let's say. The, the Frank Miller parlance. <laughs> there is some, there is like some the North number yarn. two story was flawless. You know, yeah. the Brando introduction, super good, where he's a giant robot and then he's also a giant dude. And then he's also yeah. a wife guy and a dad. Yeah. Like there's yeah, just yeah. So and many he's also layers, a robot. You know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's great. There's a lot to appreciate here. And a lot of this ends up coming back, you know, down later in the series. The introduction of Adam, I think, was actually my favorite part in this volume. Mm. The first time I read it. The slow reveal. It was so understated. Yeah. 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 Oh, it's so good. It's almost like if, you know, you see someone standing near a shadow, then the shadow slowly reveals itself to be Batman at the end of an issue. Mm. Yeah. Or at, mm. I'm sorry, at the end of a graphic novel that's about Batman. Like, yeah. <laughs> 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 He's... Batman's yeah, been super long. Really. Mm. Yeah. And have you read the original Tezuka? I'm curious now. The short, Once Upon a Time. I watched the animation, but I don't think I ever ended up with the, whatever the Dark Horse volume was for Astro Boy. So it's actually in Astro Boy volume three. And as Deb pointed out, it's, it's on Comixology Unlimited. So you don't even have to pay to read it if you've already got a subscription. But there's some really good, I want to, I want to go back to a thing that Chip said where like, he mentioned specifically that the landscapes are kind of stunning because Hezeka in the original, it's a, it's a fight comic. There's lots of close-ups of the robots. Like he was clearly on deadline for a lot of it, <laughs> but there is some like, there's some pretty impressive scenery events in a while. That's pretty cool. I'll put it in the show notes, I think, rather than, than, than dig too deep into it now. But I want to talk about a little bit about Urasawa and about this story in particular, because we sort of talked around it, but I didn't read the, I didn't read the back of the book copy and I kind of didn't do it on purpose because I wanted to get everyone's impressions before I let the book decide how we talked about it. Pluto in an ideal world where man and robots coexist, someone or something has destroyed the powerful Swiss robot Mont Blanc. Elsewhere, a key figure in a robot rights group is murdered. The two incidents appear to be unrelated except for one very conspicuous clue. The bodies of both victims have been fashioned into some sort of bizarre collage complete with makeshift horns placed by the victim's heads. Interpol assigns robot detective Geist to this most strange and complex case, and he eventually discovers that he, too, as one of the seven greatest robots in the world, is one of the targets. And that's uh, mm. a little spoilery, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> like, that takes us right up to halfway through the book with the introduction of North Number 2. Like, the first three chapters are spoiled by the back of the book copy, which is a choice. <laughs> but yeah, this is, uh, I think, as it's been hinted at, a murder mystery where something is killing the greatest robots in the world. And the the investigator is one of the people, one of the robots who's on the target list. Just the idea of that, taking that, that Astro Boy story where, you know, Geist is just a character who shows up and then gets murdered, you know, spoilers, and making him the viewpoint character instead of Astro, instead of Adam, I think is uh, already an interesting thing and very much fits with Tezuka or not Tezuka style, but Urasawa style, where Urasawa is known in North America for seinen comics, sort of murder mysteries, monster, which was his first released here, is about a young doctor in his, like, I think mid-20s who something happens and uh, he becomes sort of the center of international intrigue without spoiling it for Chip, who might, we might read it one day because it's pretty good, especially because he seemed to like William Walsh, oh, yeah. Pluto. Mm. 20th Century Boys is an extended sci-fi mystery series which was his next big work before and he actually ended up doing the last few volumes at the same time as pluto so there's a lot of crossover between those two that you can sort of see in the in the end of 20th century boys 
And since then, we've gotten Pluto. We've gotten Master Keaton, which is his like straight ahead sort of Indiana Jones style like adventure comic for men that was running even before he started with Monster. And then a couple short story collections as well. The Mujerishi one shot like this dude's been extensively translated into English in a way that I don't expect of of like comics for and, you know, no, no, no damning with faint praise here. This is comics for middle-aged men. Like this is like firmly and he like wavers a little bit, but it it is very much like in the comics world, it's comics for middle-aged men. But in the HBO analogies that you guys have all brought up, it is primetime HBO with probably more of a male demographic like Hannibal because it's it gets a little grisly at times, except the grisliness is robots instead Wait, of people. Male demographic like Hannibal? Do you think Hannibal is uh, oh, come on Sons of the Lambs? I think like, of as like girls. You know, the Hannibal TV bro. show Dude. is like is like mostly women. All right, I beg off. I don't watch TV. Yeah, my bad. I was it's thinking of Silence of the Lambs. I don't watch almost TV. Almost eating and almost kissing each other. That is totally that's for that's for guys. Yeah. That's sorry. That's for me. I'm a middle aged man yeah. who wants to see dudes almost kissing each other. Is that am I not like, the demographic? Like, like literally, <laughs> like literally the other day, I was walking down the street and I ran into a woman who had a full Hannibal tattoo. Holy shit! On her arm, <laughs> she's walking a dog. That's a commitment. That's not only a commitment. Uh, yeah. that's a show about murderers. Like, does she? Does it's she a know sh- it? It's a They're hot show murderers. about guys who oh keep God. almost kissing. Keep almost kissing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I it's, digress. It's full on live action <laughs> horror yaoi. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh I don't know where to start with that. So I will not start with that. Get back on the freeway. Get back on the freeway, Chris. So, yeah, this is very much. Sorry. His work is seen in like men's magazine kind of work. It's in, I think, Superior or something like that. But it's very much in the style of like a, a men's magazine kind of thing. He's He's kind of like, it's so weird that our. Canon is so weird because it, he's he's like Taniguchi in a lot of ways, except the only Taniguchi we've read is like sad dad comics. We haven't read any of the like Taniguchi dude climbs a mountain because it's there or dude climbs a mountain because he has to rescue his best friends, you know, teenage girl who has been kidnapped by pornographers like that kind of men's manga that Taniguchi does. We only have like the sad Taniguchi stuff because that's the shit I like. So <laughs> yeah, it's a. Uh, kind of wild like Taniguchi or like Blue Giant where it's like you're looking back fondly at your youth you know through the eyes of a guy who's in his 50s now who loves one thing very much that's what Sane in comics feel like to me or like that that kind of mainstream Sane in comic not the Sane in comics that David tends to appreciate a little bit more <laughs> it's true but yeah I I I should ask a question right <laughs> what did you think of Pluto volume one Oh yeah, no, it's perfect. we got our takes. We it's didn't just, get your take. It's perfect. Like it's it's annoying. I was reading it and I was just like, there's nothing. I'm not just gonna gush about this for the whole hour. So I'll just like I'll ask I'll ask I'll let those guys talk or try to bring up other things. But yeah, no, Pluto is I think I was home I was home post Christmas and first visit back since I moved to Taiwan. And I got to hang out with my friend Chris McLaren. And he's a great dude. He loves comics a lot. He's maybe gets more comics, buys more comics than anyone I've ever met. Mm. And Pluto is one of his favorite, one of his favorite books. And this is a dude that like reads on average 20 to 40, like graphic novels a month. And he still is like, when are you going to do Pluto on the episode? <laughs> like when we were hanging out in this and he's driving around, I was like, Oh man, maybe I really actually do got to do Pluto and reading it around again here. Yeah. I can totally see, 
I can totally see that. The artwork, in particular, the attention to the cityscapes in Lucerne, not not necessarily in Lucerne, but in Germany where they are, the like the rebuilding, the attention to detail in coming up with the different robot designs and modernizing the Tezuka, but not in a way that is feels modernizing, if that makes sense. It's just like these Tezuka robots have always existed in this world and it's just robots come from a different place. And, oh, here's here's the big thing. Astro Boy's just drawn like a little boy at the end. Even Geist, who's our like our lead, has some robot-y characteristics about him. He's kind of a little bit dead-eyed. He's kind of a little bit like, I mean, obviously his hand turns into a gun <laughs> and he's kind of a little bit like long, like there's something about him that that's like, Oh, he was almost there. He's got that like almost I'm almost human looking uncanny valley AI thing going on in, in his look, hmm. which you don't notice until you start to see other humans and you realize that they're drawn with a lot more caricature. But then you meet Astro and he's just drawn like a boy, like like a little boy. And you're like, that's going to make the things that happen in this short story terrifying because it's going to be putting an actual child in danger. And that maybe is the greatest. Masterstroke of this is. He didn't make Astro Boy the lead character. He made Geist the main character. Or they did. They didn't. And Astro Boy is the character that we all, you know, that have any attachment with him or grew up with him, which is the entire nation of Japan. He's the character that we love. And so by not making him the lead, you don't know that he's going to make it out okay. You don't, by making him look so vulnerable and small, like he's just this kid in a raincoat at the end of the book who's saving a snail from getting stepped on. It's it's really good and it makes what happens in the later volumes and makes the sacrifices that Astro has to make in my head. He's Astro. He's not Adam. Sorry. Weeb listeners. It makes those, those sacrifices <laughs> so much more powerful to me as a reader. Pluto's one of the few graphic novels, few comics, I guess, few, few manga. I, I absolutely just, I cried three times in the last volume when I was reading it the first time I had wow. to actually put the book down because I had to like, get the tears out of my eyes. And it was the idea of self-sacrifice and the idea of robots. I mean, I loved robots as a kid. I loved Transformers. I loved Robotech. I loved all the giant robots of which this plays with a lot of that kind of kind of ideas. And it's the idea that we would build something that would embody our best, our best features as humanity of caring and helping people and wanting to serve and then just treat them like shit, and they would still love us anyway. And that's the Suzuka robot. And I think that was so powerful when that all came together at the very end, especially because there's some cool stuff in the last volume. There's some very, very cool stuff in the last volume that, well, actually, yeah, Chip, we didn't, we didn't talk about this. This book opens in color. That was actually, a, that I had totally forgotten, that they reprinted those color pages in color at the beginning. We haven't had a Chip's Color Corner for a little while, a little CCC. What did you think of the color at the beginning of Pluto Volume 1? Well, I mean, you know how at the beginning of this I said there were a few flaws? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> the color. Come on. What's the point? What was even the point of the color in this? <laughs> You're in the middle of the fire. It actually, I kind of like I it. I know, but then, like, but then, I don't know. It's, yeah. Even got little, like, the computer flames pages on the left. following, I kind of like. The which ones? Once you get past the fire scene, the, when it's just the, uh, the detective and his wife, yeah. When it's using like the orange with the page, yeah. Those I think look better than the fire section. Mm. It's really kind of like a little moodier, a little more subdued. 
Mm. But th- yeah, that happens that. throughout in the other volumes too. Like the first initial pages are in color. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's, it looks. I actually think. I think it looks good, but you you thought it just didn't add anything, or did you think it was badly done? Yeah, it doesn't add anything. It it, it feels very much like a, oh, we have to add color quick. Let's use a color and just go over it in a way that doesn't actually like make anything pop or stand out or distinct. Well, like I, like the the last page of the last page of the color stuff before it goes into black and white. Like like it's 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 such a useless addition to it. Like it doesn't actually enhance anything on that page. Mm, I understand what you're saying, but yeah, it doesn't feel like an artistic decision. It's basically like it, it feels like someone was told that we need to have color at the beginning of the story. Sure, go for it because like it it's not used artistically. It's not used by someone who enjoys using color. He pops the characters from in the what foreground. I can see. Yeah, I I, fear, I see what you're saying. Yeah, but. And the Pluto, the Pluto shadow in the like fire on the ground, I think is is kind of an interesting situation. But yeah, yeah, fair enough. I will say I find color used really effectively in the last volume, and I'm not going to spoil it. But unfortunately, the Viz editions don't reprint the pages in color that are in color in the Japanese special edition. But there's a couple of moments of, and some of, and a couple of the pages are reprinted in color. But there are a couple moments in the, those last volumes that are in color and it does maybe address that criticism but yeah for the for opening stuff i see what you're saying but i think as an enhancement kind of works for me david what'd you think the the stuff you're talking about is it to do with the garden yeah those are in color in the visit yeah yeah sorry and those are remarkable there's more stuff in the japanese yeah. special edition so i got into pluto they actually did oversized american comic sized versions of each of the eight volumes of pluto that you could buy that came with little bonuses oh, in japan yes uh silver oh, wow. really beautiful and that actually includes, there's a book that includes all the color pages that were in color in the original serialization. Hmm. It, it includes them there. And there's a, there's a shot, the shot where Astro takes off into the sky at the eighth volume for the final fight is actually in color with a beautiful, you open it up and it's just a beautiful blue sky with him flying up into it. Hmm. And it's shocking in the same way that the garden sequence is shocking. Hmm. It's really good. Anyway, I'll throw some of that in the show notes. Actually, I don't, maybe I'm not going to, I don't have my copies here and there. Real hard to find now, actually, even in Japan. They're not on the discount <laughs> shelf like they used to be. All right, Chips Color Corner, thank you very much for your input, as always, Mr. <laughs> Mr. Zareski. Sorry. <laughs> the Q&A with only one answer. Yeah, yeah. There's only one answer. <laughs> I, just, I just had a, like a whirlwind coloring session. I had a color an issue in two days. And I don't know, I find myself thinking about colors so much. I'm like, oh, this choice reflects what this character is in this scene versus this mm. other character. And like... And making sure that everything just kind of gels and the colors used to pop a thing if I need it to pop. Like maybe I think just too much about it. Yeah, sometimes it's just decoration. I think I think that's on me. Yeah, yeah. But even as decoration, I I think it should, you know, do something. Well. That's my so I mean the other things if we're getting into this. Yeah, yeah. Some of the fight stuff was not necessarily great in this, I found. Mm-hmm. Like like mostly at the beginning where he's like fighting the guy with the pipe. Like there was mm-hmm. a particular panel which I'll hold up here that I just oh like actually did not care for. Where he's kicking the pipe, yeah. Where he's where he's Being. kicking the pipe, but also his his arms kind of weirdly cropped as he's clearly moving that. The action stuff, yeah, tended to not work for me, which is why I actually really loved the culmination of the north story where he just flew into the sky and 
you don't mm-hmm. actually see the action. It's just like the, the lightning cracks. That was super, super effective, much more so than I think if there was an actual battle. Mm. Yeah. And the way the, cl- the the explosion and then it trails, like you see this this trail yeah. of like, uh, the smoke. It reminded me of like the Challenger uh, uh, explosion. Kind of yeah, thing. Yeah. that same feeling, right? Where you're yeah. watching something happening in a distance and you know something very, very terrible has happened. But, but you didn't witness it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I quite love that. I thought that was really beautiful. But yeah, there, there were, there was definitely a few kind of actiony things throughout this that I was just like, okay, yeah, maybe that that could be done better. Or it, it's so hard because, like, like I said, you know, I kept comparing this to Akira, and everyone's why I'd be like, oh, Akira would have done that better. Like a lot of the pages don't necessarily feel composed in this, whereas in mm. Akira, every page feels composed. Mm. There's a lot of talking Here, heads. <laughs> there's a lot of talking heads, and there's not yeah. there's not necessarily a lot of variety in. It just kind of feels like, all right, just another panel. Let's put another panel. Okay, how many panels do we fit in this page? Okay, great. We move on to the next page. Like it's just kind of a means to get the 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 ideas and the story across, which is fine. Like again, like I'm comparing it to Akira, which is high watermark, foolish, because yeah, exactly. But it just kind of invites the comparison, just because of the style of the story. I think, and yeah, I mean, those are kind of like the only things that really kind of jumped out at me. There was only one kind of groaner part for me. Mm-hmm. Because like right away I'm like oh this feels like a very like subtle kind of adult take on things and then and then we get don't worry my friend I'm made so I can't kill humans I'm a robot yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, I was like I kind of went oh Jesus it's gonna be that kind of book because that's first chapter too I know it's first chapter and like yeah it would have been better if they if if we if he just didn't have that line, if it just didn't have that line, if he's, if he just said like, you know, don't worry, my friend, I mean, I made, so I can't kill humans and just left it there. Mm. That's it. Yeah. That's it. That's the line. That's what you ended on. Cause you can see from the hand, the gun, the visual that clearly he's not human and you can let the yeah. reader kind of say he's a robot instead of having the character say, I'm a robot. But that's just like, I mean, these are small things like, cause, cause then the rest of the story, I'm just like, Oh, it like, it, it it kept things kind of subtler and a bit more kind of not hitting you over the head with the ideas. Mm. Like, you know, I like the I like the reveal that what's his face, Brando, towards the end was a robot. Like I didn't know right away. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. He thought he was just piloting a robot. Yeah. Yeah, but then as he like, you know, when he starts to talk about like basically having human kids or whatever, it's like, oh, okay, all right. Like like yeah, I I I, I prefer to kind of find things out that way. Than a character telling me who they are. That reminds me, your kind of perspective. There's like the one big page turn reveal, I think, in this is the I'm a robot moment, which doesn't mm, yeah. really land at all. But yeah. there's, but each scene is still good. Like it still kind of builds to a good moment rather than like kind of forcing it, not forcing a cliffhanger. It's not a cliffhanger y book in the same sense that like a saga or something would be a cliffhanger y book. Sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's like the com- the compulsion is a little bit different. Yeah. Hmm. And you guys don't have any affection, or Chip, you didn't really have any affection for Astro Boy. Did you watch the Astro Boy cartoons growing up? No, not really. But in a weird bit of Chip trivia, my first wife essentially represented Astro Boy merchandise in Canada. Yeah, yeah, during the what? movie, right? Whoa. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I'm like like back when I met her in like ninety. 90- Eight. She worked for she worked for a guy named Marty Gross, 
who was a Canadian potter of all things, who had like a real fascination with Japanese pottery. But like through that, he I guess he kind of met whoever handled the Tezuka estate and ended up getting the license to like represent all the Astro Boy merchandise in Canada, if not North That's America. Awesome. Yeah. And so yeah. my ex Roberto, she was like essentially his assistant in his weird workshop where he also had like pottery classes for kids, but also happened to have all this Astro Boy merchandise everywhere. Wild. And so wow. she, yeah, she was in charge of like, yeah, kind of uh, getting it into shops and getting people interested in Astro Boy. That's and so, so yeah, so I, I, my affection uh, is mostly just because of that time. Mm. And I remember, I remember a few Astro Boy kind of cartoons as a kid, but it's just like, it just felt like too juvenile for me at that point. I was yeah, just yeah. like, well, no, I don't want, I'd rather watch the the big killer robots than this kind of like weird kind of dated yeah, feeling for sure. cartoon. It was in the same place as Rocket Robin Hood for me. Like I'll watch it cause it's on cause it's animated <laughs> cause I'm, there's a low bar when you're at your grandma's house and you just like want to have TV on and it's like, <laughs> Oh, if it's animated, yeah, it's better. Yeah. Cause it might not like, it might not be, you might end up with judge Wapner or something instead. So yeah, that Rocket yeah. Robin Hood would, What's the, what was another good one? The Hercules cartoon. Herc, Herc. All the Canadian <laughs> cartoons of our youth. I do want to talk about that first half of this book. Here's a big question. Do you think the first three chapters of this book before the introduction of North number two are the first volume problem that we talk about with a lot of manga? Because the fight sequence that Chip doesn't like is from that. That page reveal where he's like, I'm a robot is from there. A lot of the dialogue I find in the first couple chapters does come across like a little bit hokey and that I'm a robot reveal is probably like the worst thing. But it's it seems like those first three chapters, he's just he is like David said, or maybe like Chip said, sorry, throwing panels down on the page. He's got to get you into the story and hooked and, and you got to love this thing. And then all of a sudden with chapter four, he's like. And now two sad chapters in a villa, like where nothing happens for 88% of it. And then there's like a soul destroying fight scene at the end kind of a thing. I will say that like by the time they get to the chapter that opens with them all watching the Mont Blanc documentary and weeping, like, okay, things have like definitely taken a step forward in terms of like the the dialogue and the pacing and, and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, it's the North number two story that it's like you really slow down into and settle into and get to know this world a little bit better. But those first couple of chapters are a little hokey. And I actually liked them, but I, I yeah. on rereading but them, I Astro found Boy is hokey. You know? Oh my God, it's hokey as hell. <laughs> so it's, I, I kind of like write that off as kind of like he, like it's such a, it's such a huge responsibility, right? To redo a beloved, well-known Astro Boy story in a new way. And I yeah. think the first couple of chapters is like, he's kind of like getting settled into it. Like yeah. he still feels a responsibility to the old story, but mm. he wants to do something different. And it, it, if you've read enough Urasawa stuff, you can see, oh, this is one part Master Keaton, one part Monster, one part 20th Century Boys, you know? Sure. Like, the only thing it doesn't have is Yawara, right? <laughs> <laughs> Which is the teen girl volley- volleyball manga? Uh, judo. judo. Judo manga, sorry, my bad. Volleyball's happy, sorry, my bad, my bad. So it's it has a lot of like like the familiar notes of Urasawa stories, and mm. then you can see him trying to melt together what is a very different style of storytelling and character building than what Tezuka did. Like for the reason you said, right? Like the original Astro Boy story was written in the '60s for kids, and then this is for adults. 
I think I was reading another blog post where people were saying it feels intimidating to do Beatles covers because the Beatles did it. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. And you're like, how do you put your fresh spin on it? Or do you, or do you just try to mimic what they did? Mm. I, or like, uh, I think people were saying like, this is more like how oh, Johnny Cash does Hurt by Nine Inch Nails, right? Yeah, Instead, yeah. Instead, where it's like, it's the same song, the same lyrics, but when it's sung by a man who's lived a, a very tough life and he's at the end of his life, it's so heartbreaking instead of angry, right? This is kind of like that, like where you're reading, the, I think a lot of the story beats and a lot of the themes about what, what does it mean to be a robot and what does it mean to be human and how do humans mistreat robots and things like that, right? Or what machines do and because humans tell them to do it. What's a soul? <laughs> what, what's love? You know, all these th big themes, right? It's there in the Astro Boy story, but it's so much deeper and resonant and mm -hmm. mature. Because Urasawa had won, it's what, what, 40 years since the original story. And manga storytelling has evolved quite a bit. And the audience that he's writing for has too, right? Like he, he, he trusts that they're ready to take on these themes and take on ideas like I think latter volumes get into kind of start hearkening to that Iraq war, right? <laughs> There's a lot of really interesting things here that it it has beats, has the lyrics, but it's it's a different song. <laughs> yeah. And I think that it like I see what Christopher is saying, but I think the way Deb put it that it's like it has the beat and the lyrics is the same song. The change is just like a shift change when you go to the North Number Two story. Mm. It's like mm. Urasawa setting expectations and then also upsetting the expectations that they set. Uh, Urasawa and friends, I'm sorry. Because mm. the first bit, you're like, okay, this is going to be like a pretty standard murder mystery. We're going to follow this you know, detective guy around. He'll meet some people, yada, yada, yada. And then the first thing that doesn't feature him is slower pace. There's only two characters. Like one is a veteran who wants to be different, and the other is a guy who, you know, like misread something in his past and it altered the trajectory of his life. So I think it was more Urasawa and company trying to basically say, like, look, you're in for it. <laughs> like, we're going to take you know, all <laughs> kinds of highs and lows in all yeah. kinds of different ways. Yeah. And it, it, it's completely, it does not follow the original story at all. In the original story, North is basically you know, owned by this guy who's a mad scientist. And then he says, there's a monster in the front yard who wants to beat me up. And then the scientist goes, yeah, go beat him up. <laughs> and then it's page two. And then he, the, the, the arms pop out and he deals with Pluto. And it's like, wait a minute. This was two pages in the original book. Yeah. He was yeah. not blind. He was not a piano player. He did not have his memories of his mother. This is all completely made up by Urasawa. Him mm -hmm. going off the off-ramp, going to the Wendy's, going through the drive-thru, maybe <laughs> going, going, stepping over the, the biker bar, and then getting back on the freeway. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. And it works. It's such a strange thing to toss into a book that, like, I think that was the moment where I fell in love when I first read the series, mm. was yeah. the North Number 2 bit. Because it's so, like, X-Men comics don't really do that. And I love X-Men, like, I love Spider-Man a whole lot but it's like a certain mode of storytelling and this is so far in a different mode of storytelling 
even down to the point where it feels like to me this is a story where superheroes never existed and were replaced mm. entirely by robots. Which oh, absolutely, that's power cool. fantasy mm. of like yeah, you know, yeah, what robots stand for, what they do. Yeah, yeah, man, like they killed it. It's such a good book from <laughs> so many different. What angles. made superheroes so revolutionary in Japan? Like when Ultraman came on the scene, and it was like there's someone like that is that is themselves like they transform like they're not you know mm-hmm. average average joe whatever or or common writer even for that matter before that point it was always people controlling the heroes like tetsujin 28 where you'd be like a little boy who had a remote control to control the world's most powerful robot kind of a thing and all of a sudden it's like no no you can be the hero and you just have to like have the right gadget that transforms you and it's still technology based it's still that kind of that that thing where you transform from the person you were into this technology based hero with the right belt or the right bike or or whatnot, and I think that that's such a key to a lot of manga, you know, hero heroic storytelling. And it's interesting because I mean, the Marvel movies really dug in here, like really, really dug in here, because there are a lot of tech heroes. Thor is a hero because he's got his tech, his hammer. Iron Man's got, you know, his armor. Captain America's got his his shield and his, you know, super soldier serum. It kind of like hit in uh, Japan in a huge, huge way. But the peak human, you know, superhero characters as well, like the Hawkeyes and the Black Widows and things like that. Oh, like two. To the point that people just wear Marvel t-shirts here. And I don't mean t-shirts with Marvel characters, but literally just the, the logo Marvel. from Marvel. <laughs> <laughs> There's like a whole merch shop that's like you can buy the word Marvel on literally any piece of clothing or accoutrement. Like you want to you want to buy a backpack that just is, you're paying twenty five dollars more because it says Marvel in red letters on the back of a black backpack. You can do that. It's weird that it hits so hard here. But I'm also sitting in a house where I think I have Astro Boy on seven or eight different things that I own. So merch is pretty cool. I'm uh, pro merch. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, I think. I think I'm going to I'm going to go on the record and I think this one Pluto volume 1 is Yotsuba volume 1 and volume 2. You both get and and the pancake story it, <laughs> uh, that, that makes people love it. You get you get the stuff where you're like I see what people are talking about and then you get to oh I see what people are what are what people are talking about and I love this book now and it's its own volume 1 and I was really worried about it before we went into this. I'm glad Chip you uh, you ducked. Fear not. Fear not. <laughs> I will say that it's still well, here's that's my thesis, and uh, David, maybe as the preeminent expert on Pluto, apparently, yes. Do you feel it is? Do you? F- mm, how do you? Th- how do you feel Pluto works as a serialization versus taking it in as, as a whole piece? Because I got to the end and I'm like, man, I'm gonna have to go back to Kinokuni in Tokyo and buy two to eight because I really want to see how this ends, and it's not on digital. I don't have a good answer. When I was reading it, it was already in graphic novel format, and I feel like that's already so different from reading it. What was it? Monthly, probably. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That I know it feels good in graphic novels. I guess is the best way to say it. Like each yeah. volume feels like a complete story. I think the eighth volume is a little bit bigger than the others. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, like you know, two hundred eighty pages or something. Story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But like the pacing is great. The characters are great. The every volume always left me like wanting more, but still feeling satisfied. You know, mm, like I can see that there'd be a two month wait until the next, you know, volume. But I'd be like, OK, that's fine. Like, I feel good about this. <laughs> Usually with manga, I feel awful about it. That's yeah, sure. That, that works out great. <laughs> the nice thing with this volume one is that you get a complete story, but also it just happens to be part of a, a larger story. Like the North number yeah. two story is complete. Like yeah. it's a perfect short story. 
but the fact that it's kind of nestled in and adds to the larger story, like that's super impressive. Big question for you guys, because obviously you know the answer. Do we ever find out about North number one? <laughs> Don't believe we do, actually. That's our before Watchmen. Yeah, there you go. Uh, wow. figured it, yeah. <laughs> Writer on the podcast. <laughs> Gonna make us all rich. Incredible. <laughs> North number one. Mm. Uh, I was going to suggest yeah. that, like, you know, because we're going to finish with Akira pretty soon. Like, can we do Pluto volume by volume as our next one? Because I'd love no, to No, that's just my series. pick for the next next time we do books. It's just Pluto two to eight, actually. So don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, Chip, I'm sorry, but you're going to have to buy seven books and we're going to have to read 3,000 pages for next episode. Yeah. I wouldn't mind with this one, actually. Oh, look at yeah, that. This one. Yeah. It holds up very well. It holds up really well. Yeah, Three. I mean, I'm well, gonna, go, I'm probably gonna binge the rest of it because, like, <sighs> I'm so jealous mm. of you guys. Like, I couldn't find my volume one, so I had to buy the Japanese version <laughs> from Bookwalker. It's good because it's, I could still read it and understand it, but I probably didn't hit me as hard because the dialogue, along with the art, really hits you right. Like that scene where the the detective, I can't say his German name, goes to visit the the widow of a police. Robot. Oh my god, that was awful. Like so yeah. good, but like and when he goes back and you think that it was Law and Order when you get the second surprise interview with the person that they interviewed where you like it's Law and Order, someone shows up for like one dun dun segment and then oh they went back at the end and like the story changed a little bit and it was like heavy, it was even heavier where it's like, Do you want to see his own his memories and like remember him? And it's just like, yeah, the sci-fi in this is so good. And the robots being kind to each other is so good. Yeah. The fact that, that that the wife robot, you can tell she's devastated and she's sad, even though her facial expression doesn't change at all. It's yeah. the yeah. way that he mm-hmm. frames it and the way that he paces the, it. The pacing, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's masterful. But it does make me understand why, you know, like the original robots in the Astro Boy story, they look like, they all look like Mont Blanc, right? Like have like these cartoony looking robot personas mm. and that what he decided to do here was to make a lot of like like brando and and hercules and epsilon be human looking characters who put on power suits yeah which is a s- interesting move because it it allows him to do what he knows how to do well which is draw subtle facial expressions to show emotions which you can't do like mont blanc and north number two are pretty much limited by their robotting less right mm. With Brando, you see more personality. You see his mischievousness, his strength, and his, you know, when he looks resigned. But when they do reintroduce the robot wife character, she mm. looks like she's straight out of Jetson. She's like Rosie the robot. You know what I mean? Uh, like yeah, she's yeah. like a classic looking robot. And so she's just got this, like, she's drawn like like a machine, but still manages to just wring so much emotion out of her, like mm non-responses and her non like it's not like she's you know like rosie and doing the squash and stretch of the animation where she's like oh mr j like you know like she's like <laughs> she's really drawn like a machine but it's still the way hmm, maybe where i was like there are very very deliberate choices in the framing and paneling of this book and not all the time sometimes it's just gotta get to the next story but sometimes like he just stops and he like there is consideration and the full page spread or the like I think the two thirds of a page illustration of her sort of rendered in the like light where she like is 
sort of taking in what it all what it all means that her husband who's also a robot has died is wild because it contrasts maybe in the next scene or in a in an adjacent scene where guys just talking about going on vacation to tokyo and he's talking to the travel agent and she's like and you don't mind me asking you're a robot right and he's like yeah and she's like oh i'm a robot too and i'm gonna i want to go on vacation i'm very jealous of you like and it's just like it it's it's this like we're so close to human people can't quite tell if we're human or not versus this robot looking robot that looks straight out of a tezuka design kind of or looks actually looks a little bit like rosie the robot from jetsons so mm. yeah there's something there's something there that's, that's really worth exploring but like i said at the top of the podcast i could i could have talked about this one i could have gone through scene by scene and talked about this one. maybe david already did if if it's still up online i'll find it and throw it in the show notes you can read his thoughts but let's jump into some final thoughts and my final thought was that like the way that the the wife robot character was designed and portrayed made me appreciate everything that was going on around it a lot more any anyone else have any final thoughts they want to share about pluto volume i've got a quick one yeah on page 122, an underground doctor comes and basically like, fixes <laughs> yeah. North Number Two's, like his master's eyes or whatever when he's a child. Anyway, mm-hmm. the doctor's Blackjack, who's another Tezuka character. Ah, I, like, like ah I love it. Love <laughs> yeah, it. the subtle reference in there. Whenever like a, a black market doctor or an unlicensed doctor shows up, it's almost always Blackjack in yeah. any manga, I feel. Uh, that was cool. <laughs> it's like it shows that he's doing this like very grown up literary approach to, you know, a children's comics character, but he'll still include like all the hits. Yeah. And as we see oh, more characters so in volume two, like you'll see more Tezuka designs, like straight up Tezuka designs, but done in yeah. Urasawa style. And it's a trip. So yeah, great series, a lot of fun. <laughs> great series, a lot of fun. That's a, that's a good <laughs> final thought to go out on. Deb, Chip. I loved it. And as soon as I have a, a proper home, I will purchase the rest of the volumes. Wow. What a lovely, what a lovely thought. I, but I, me having a proper home? Yes. Uh, I don't care about <laughs> much about that. I just like that I picked a book you liked. Deb, let's, let's, let's end with you. Do you have any final thoughts on Pluto? Oh, I'm so glad that we're finally reading Urasawa because I think now that we're, what, in season four? <laughs> yeah. Episode 96 or whatever this is, seven. Like we, the, the drumbeat of people saying, when are you going to do Urasawa? When are you going to do Urasawa? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm so glad to finally satisfy that because I've, I've had to justify this, right? I've had to say, I'm sorry, we can't do Pluto because in print, it's hard to find. Yeah. And that's not the case anymore. I mean, they're, they're reprinting it so it's easier to find. So that, that's good. And I'm, personally, I think this is his best series, his most complete work. Because mm. one thing that Urasawa does, I mean, I, I, I love Master Keaton. Master Keaton is like, you know, like those North number two stories? Like Master Keaton is just a series of these interesting, touching vignettes mm. that catch you by surprise and kind of weave in history and uh, adventure. They're very heartwarming, but very manly saying the monk. So if you like that story, go pick up Master Keaton. You'll f- enjoy it a lot. But the thing that Urasawa doesn't do so well sometimes Sometimes he doesn't hit the landing. <laughs> yeah, that's or some, fair. Or sometimes he takes too long to hit the landing. Like, you know, like, Turn of Century Boys is great, but oh my God, it goes on forever, right? Yeah. And it and there's points where you think, actually, he should have ended it here. <laughs> but I think Monster's really good. But this, to me, is like everyone I've talked to who's read Pluto reads it beginning to end, no stopping, and says, I cried. 
it was so moving. Oh God, it's it's perfect. Yeah. So I think he's he's a great storyteller. Sometimes he coasts like Asador right now. I don't think is hitting it. Okay, it's not hitting it for me. But he's so accessible. His craftsmanship is there. His storytelling is there. It is a perfect gateway manga for people who don't read much manga because mm. it's so you don't have to read other manga to appreciate how well this is drawn and how well this story is told. You didn't even need to read the Astro Boy story. Like I, I didn't read the original story for years, but when you do, you, I appreciate it's his, what, what the decisions that were made to reimagine the story where he took detours, where he added depth, how he could take a 160 page story and turn it into an eight volume manga. Like that's when I'm in awe. Like, good job, man. This is perfect manga. <laughs> I think that's a great way to end this episode. Good job, Urasawa. You get the manga splaining stamp of approval. Four out of four. <laughs> and with that, like you care. Uh, let's, go, right? <laughs> let's go to the break and we'll come back and we'll uh, maybe we'll pick some books. Stay tuned. Save big on brunch for mom. All in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. And we're back from the break. We hope that was lucrative for us and not too annoying for you. We're picking <laughs> books this week. It's time for us to pick three more books. And this will take us to, uh, oh, Deb, you were saying the other day that maybe this is going to take us up to episode 100, which is, oh, wait, we already picked episode 100. We're up to, it would take us up to episode 110. Oh, my God. Episode 100 is not all girls are stupid. Oh, no, it's, uh, oh, yeah, it is. That's pretty great. This is gonna be, that's going to be a fun episode. We probably should flip that in What's Michael, actually, so that the What's Michael slash Garfield episode is episode 100. It's true. That way we don't do two dark horses on in a row. Yeah. 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 Hmm. Let's see. Let's see what happens when episode 100. Maybe it'll be a special episode and we won't be on it at all. Choices? Yeah. Chip's choice. <laughs> that's, that's pretty <laughs> good. <laughs> all right. All right. Enough of my rambling on. David, do you have a book that you want to recommend for us to read or recommend for Chip Always. to read in a future episode? Yes, and I actually can't pronounce the title, but we're going to get through it at some point. So, <laughs> Chip, do you remember Witch Out Atelier by Kamame Shirahama? Mm -hmm. Yeah, oh yeah. She has very, another very series. Good. It's called Ineale and Duiella. And the oh, wow. synopsis, okay. I'm just going to read this off of my anime list. <laughs> Angels and demons aren't known for getting along, but their shared enthusiasm for designer labels and luxury items has drawn Angel Ineale and Demon Duiella into a tempestuous friendship which has the tendency to dissolve into conflict. With the powers of heaven and hell behind them, even a minor fashion disaster can have near apocalyptic consequences for the people of Earth. So angel <laughs> devil roommates, they often end up on the same mission, you know, like corrupt or save the same person. And yeah, you, know, yeah. you can probably guess where it goes from there. Impeccably drawn, <laughs> good jokes. I think you might like it. All right. All right. Good opener. Mm. Who's next? I think Deb's next. Oh, I'm so pressured out now because <laughs> I'm a compared to David, I'm not a great book talker, as you know. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, 
We've done a hundred of these so far. You'll be fine. Uh, no, but I'm still so yeah. bad at it. You want funny or heartwarming? <laughs> um, <laughs> oof, boy. I, uh, the way I'm feeling right now, probably, probably funny. Okay. I've been threatening to stick this one on you guys for a while. So, oh, no. Here we go. Since our visit to Dick Fight Island, we haven't been to the island of boys love. We need to get back there. Mm. So the one I want to recommend is called Cherry Magic. Can 30 oh years God. of being a virgin make you a wizard? <laughs> <laughs> the premise of this story is there are two guys who work in an office. One is the hot salesman. Everyone thinks he's cool. Everyone thinks he's the, he's the, you know, this is a nice guy. He's really good at his job. Everyone thinks he's handsome. And there's this other guy who's kind of shy, kind of a bit of a schlub. He's not ugly or in any stress, but he's just kind of a plain, ordinary, shy guy. He is also a virgin. What he discovers on the day of his 30th birthday is that now, not because he's a 30-year-old virgin, he has gained magical powers. And the magical powers <laughs> is basically that if he touches somebody, he can hear what they're thinking. So when he touches his coworker, just by accident, in the elevator, he discovers his hot coworker is into him big time. <laughs> <laughs> It's a delightful little rom-com about what this cool guy looks like on the outside and what he really thinks of his what seemingly plain-looking co-worker in the inside. It's a really cute little rom-com. There's no dick armor. Um, uh, <laughs> are you trying to not sell this to me, Deb? <laughs> <laughs> but it's so sweet and funny, and it gives you a different flavor of boys' love that we haven't had before. I think you'll find it really fun. All right. Very, very good. He's a wizard, so he can't wear armor. That's just pure D&D rules. Like that's. It's also quite short. I think it's like 120 pages per (laughs) volume. So it's much shorter than usual manga volumes. Oh, he likes it short. I do like short. Also, Chris, you've created yet another comic for us to produce. The wizard with armor. Wizard with armor? (laughs) Wizard with armor. He had the armor. He couldn't touch him and he couldn't find out what the other guy was thinking. I'm just saying. Yeah, oh, that, there you go. All right, Chris, interfere with his spellcasting abilities. Book number four we read, and it just was reminded of it actually the other day on Mog Explaining, is Helter Skelter by Kyoko Okazaki about a savage takedown of the fashion and wellness industry, which we didn't call it at the time because the wellness industry kind of sprang up since then. Kyoko Okazaki, despite not producing any work, has a new work coming out in English. And as one of my favorite mangaka, I kind of feel obligated to read it on the podcast and i don't mean that in the negative way i know that sounds like why would you like whatever but like no man like we got a new book coming out that's jose which is kind of a rare occurrence in north american comics we got a new book coming out by someone whose work i love and who chip was thoroughly perplexed by when he read it as book number four of manga splaining it's called river's edge and it's about six young people going through some going through it in Tokyo, it originally came out, I think, in the, the late 90s. It is a little bit more, it's still just as edgy as, as as Helter Skelter, but a little bit more sedate in its edginess, let's say. And it is released on June 27th. River's Edge by Kyoko Okazaki is my pick, because I think you really liked Helter Skelter in the end, even though you were kind of confounded by it. It was a long time ago since you read it. I like that the words you've used for me in that are perplexed and confounded. Yeah, you're like it's so ugly, and yet I can't stop reading it. Like it, it's a, 
you get a chance. Go back and listen to episode number four. It's 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 pretty fun. And you'll seeing... see how far you've come. <laughs> yeah, you've it's it's wild. It's really wild. Actually, you're more like angry, confused, <laughs> left to right. <laughs> Wait, which uh, one? I was angry, confused. That was it. Die dark or something? I forget. You were a little angry, confused yeah, at I die think dark. Yeah, I was. Yeah. <laughs> I I, yeah, I reject recent. the idea that I was ever angry, confused, and no, I will not go back and listen to the episode <laughs> to prove or disprove that. Fair, fair point. Yeah, Matt Alt recommended we read Kyoko Kazaki, and I had to point out that we read it. We read her in episode number four, but yeah, Rivers Edge is coming out. It's the perfect opportunity to revisit, and maybe we do you know what it's about? Pink. Yes, but I don't want to read the synopsis because it seems spoilery. Oh, all okay, right. never mind. So it is about young people. Going through it is, is all you need to know. <laughs> all right. All right. Whew, this is a tough one. Oh, I think I think David takes it this week because angels and a demon and fashion all together drawn beautifully because I already know. That's the thing. Yeah. David already knows that I already know how beautiful yeah. it's going to be drawn and I, I want to see it. I can't pronounce the title either. I'm just going to say David's <laughs> pick is number one. Nice. Hey, I think I'm going to go with Cherry Magic for number two. Just because it's it continues. The one thing I'm really fascinated about with some of the manga, maybe, maybe since like a, a last episode, the idea of just smashing things together and adding things on top that don't make any sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, like, it could have just been a story about a guy who, like, when he touches discovers when he touches people one day that he can hear their thoughts and then a romance blossoms. But no, he also has to be like a virgin. Oh no, he also has to be a virgin who gets magical powers on his 30th birthday and those powers happen to be that. Like, it, it it's ludicrous. It's as, as ludicrous as I got hit by a car and now I'm reliving a video game dating sim. <laughs> like, it just doesn't make any sense on any yeah. level. <laughs> so, I mean... yeah. It's 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 but because it's so ludicrous, I, I I'm gonna make that the, the second pick, and because River's Edge is probably gonna be uh, maybe a, a bit of a an emotional read. It's gonna be a bummer, man. You could just say it's gonna be. A bummer. It's gonna be a bummer. I'm not in the bummer mood, so I'm <laughs> I'm dumping it into number three position. I can't wait to be confounded yet again, <laughs> perplexed, perplexed, like the like the the the, the dullard from the country that I am. At the bright, shiny new things. Muffin. Canada's own Homer Simpson. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I think the first time I've been called that. To be honest, it's a little bit like drinking Fernet. It's like the hip people do it, but the first time you have it, you're like, what was this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there you go. Exactly. So, yeah, th- that's my order. Well, that's a good order of books. That takes us up to episode 107, assuming. Oh, no, actually, we've got another special episode that's an interviewing episode that's going to pop in there at some point. So that takes us up to 108. Wow. Isn't that fun? We got so much going on this season. You're going to you're all going to love it. I hope I hope. Please keep listening. I think that's an episode of Mongo's Planning. How do you guys feel? Oh, wait. Shout outs. Oh, my God. I almost didn't do shout outs. I got nothing. So it'll be real quick. We only recorded the last episode two days ago. Anyone else got a shout out that the, any media they've taken in the last two days? Go outside. That's all I got. Oh, go outside's great. Yeah. yeah. I, I like that you're copying my previous suggestion of go outside, but I phrased it as touch grass. <laughs> go outside. You know, this week, this week's suggestion, 
I hear there's a nice world out there. Go go explore it if you can, while he can. That's an episode of Monk Explaining. Take care. This has been Manga Explaining number 99, Pluto by Naoki Urasawa. Thanks for listening. For our next episode, we'll be doing a special on Okinawa by Susan Mihiga, featuring an interview with the book's translator, Jocelyn Allen, and editor, Andrew Woodrow Butcher. It's our 100th episode, it's the first Manga Explaining Extra co-published book, and it's in stores the last week of August, which is right around when the episode's going to be released. It's going to be a pretty big week. Want to pick up a copy of Okinawa? Consider supporting your local comic and manga specialty shop, and you can find one near you at comicshoplocator.com. Or check out your local library for print and digital lending options. You can also follow along with our complete reading list and show notes at mangasplaining.com, and check out our newsletter and digital publishing endeavor at mangasplainingextra.com. Thanks to DADS for their musical accompaniment this episode. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.